Setting healthy boundaries are important in every relationship. God calls us to honor those boundaries. This is the sixth message in the series, Whose Friend Are You? This message is entitled, Honor Boundaries. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Go ahead and grab your notes. They're on your phone there at the MyCOR app or your uh, Bible's ready for you as well as we continue our series together entitled, Whose Friend Are You? And How Do You Upgrade Your Friendships and Your Relationships in Life? And as you've seen with that little vignette, we're going to talk this weekend about honoring boundaries in life. I'm not sure if you've ever been in a situation like we just saw, but you can understand something about the impact and the power and the importance of understanding this thing called boundaries. When it comes to our lives and how we live our lives, or perhaps there's nothing more important in our lives, secondary only to our relationship with God, to our relationships with people, because people are forming and fashioning your life far more than you and I realize we're being affected by the people around us. So it becomes very important, as we've been talking about in this series, to be proactive in choosing uh, to be the right kind of person that attracts the right kind of people in your life. It's not just enough to uh, let people who are just sort of passively around you into your world. If you want to move forward with your life, you have to be very intentional about who you allow into your life. I'm not talking about not being nice to everybody and appreciating everybody and loving everybody, but when it comes to the close relationships of your life, those that are going to impact you, you have to be very careful because your friends are determining your future. Where you end up in life at large degree is being determined by the people that you hang out with. As I've said in this series, the most important thing that uh, I think is, is important to understand and to grasp is that really who you're becoming as a person is the primary thing in terms of the people you will attract. As we've been saying, the birds of feathers flock together, and when you are a certain kind of person, you will attract certain kind of people in your life. So we're talking about improving ourselves, growing ourselves, learning how we can be better friends and better friend material so we attract the right kind of people in life. When it comes to being the right kind of friend, as we've sort of mentioned in the beginning part of this message, as I said, the vignette you saw, it's extremely important that we learn something about boundaries, learning how to honor boundaries, learning how to set boundaries in your life and knowing how to honor the boundaries of others, extremely important. And when we talk about a boundary, we're really talking about something that, that really sets the course in terms of what is yours and what is not yours, where you're allowed and where you shouldn't be allowed, where the expectations are in a relationship. All these things are related to boundaries. How do you know what to say and what not to say? These are extremely important things because they protect relationships and they identify responsibilities. What's my responsibility? What is not my responsibility? What is my business and what is none of my business? Where should I be involved in a person's life and where should I not? be involved in a person's life because you can very easily get caught up in codependent relationships, a variety of things in life can really be detrimental not only to you but to other people. And when you set the right boundaries in life, it's going to reduce some of your stress, it's going to reduce friction in your relationship, and it's going to also reduce some fatigue because if you're always invading a person's boundaries, I promise you at some point in time either you're going to get worn out or you're going to wear them out. I'm sure you could see in the little story tonight that it didn't take very long for the couple to whose house, to whose house had been invaded, they were getting a little fatigued by the situation as well as frustrated. So let's talk about what a boundary is. A boundary is sort of a fence. It's a property line. 
Think about it in terms of where you live. You would never think about going to bed at night and not locking your doors. You're not just going to allow anybody to walk into your life and in and out of your life at their whim. You have some boundaries. You set some goals for what you're going to allow in and out of your, your physical world as well as your emotional and your spiritual world as well. So I want to talk to us about how do we actually set boundaries. Does the Bible even talk about this? And the answer to that question is absolutely. The Bible is very clear about all aspects of relationships. There's not a single relational principle in your life that is not found in Scripture. Healthy relationships are built by God's Word because God manufactured you. He created you. He knows what is best for you. So I want to talk to you about five types of boundaries that you need to set in your life according to Scripture. So let's dive in here together. The first one you need to set boundaries on your relationship behaviors. That key word there is behaviors. Behaviors, as we all know, these are any actions that you take at any time and any place in your life. It is what you do. And we behave in certain ways in our relationships. Your relationships are made up of actions, things that you do, behaviors that are part of you. And you give yourself certain kinds of permission to behave, to behave in certain ways in relationships. You probably relate to, obviously, your spouse differently than you relate to a friend at work. And you relate to friends that are closer to you different than those that are just acquaintances in your life. You have certain behaviors that go along with certain relationships. But unfortunately, I think sometimes we, 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 we behave in ways that are not good for a relationship, or we allow people to continue to behave toward us in ways that are not good for a relationship, so because we haven't established good, solid boundaries. So boundaries are extremely important. Now, the scripture is very clear about setting boundaries on your relationship behaviors. We could take time tonight and go through lots and lots of scriptures. Let me read three of these for you. Again, boundaries on your behaviors, how you treat, how you behave in relationships. First of all, the Bible says in Luke chapter 6, 31, treat others, behave toward others as you would want them to do what? Treat you. That cures a lot of issues in any relationship of life. If you step back and say, okay, wait a minute, before I behave in this way toward this person, what I want them treating me this way in terms of a behavior. And this needs to be a filter. These are all filters in your life that actually you, you, you sort of have to build into your life intentionally to begin with, and then over time, it becomes part of who you are. But you have to stop sometimes and say, before you're starting to engage with a person in a certain manner, you have to stop and say, would I want them to treat me this way? And so it's a filter for your life. Notice if you will, Col Colossians chapter 3, verse 8, but now you the responsibility is placed on each one of us. You must also rid yourselves, that is, get rid of, take it out of your life, of all such things as these. Notice that these are oftentimes manifestations of behavior, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Here, the Apostle Paul says, in your relationships, because all of these things relate to people. Anger toward people, rage toward people. Malice is an attitude of, 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 of a desire to 
hurt or harm another person. It affects the behaviors of your life. Slander has to do with your language. Filthy language, obviously, it's very, uh, very explanatory in its own statement. These things need to be removed from your life because it is a boundary that you put on you. At this point, it's not a boundary being placed on someone else. It's a boundary that you are putting on your own life. Proverbs 25, verse 17 says this, don't wear out your welcome by staying too long at the home of your friends, or they may get fed up with you always having you there and wish you hadn't come. That's a boundary that is on your, see, it's invading a person's life. And if you overly invade people's lives, the old saying is you do wear out your welcome. And so these are all biblical principles. But in our world today, we've lost some of the awareness of how we are to behave toward one another. And so anytime you're in any situation with any person that you have a relationship with or attempting to build a relationship with, you stop and say, wait a minute, I need to make sure that my behavior is properly boundaried given what this relationship is. I need to put some boundaries on the behaviors of my life. No one else will do that for you. You're responsible for putting boundaries. I'm responsible for putting boundaries on behavior, how I behave toward people around me. The second thing that we want to talk about tonight is you need to set boundaries on your personal emotions. There's the key word there. Now, by the way, you'll notice as I go through tonight, I'm not talking about other people in your life. I'm talking about you and me. Because real boundaries are not really about what other people do. We'll get a little bit into that tonight, but it's more about what you do. And so we're talking about setting these kind of boundaries for your emotions yourself. Because your, your emotions are your responsibility. I think a lot of times we have a tendency when we're feeling something to want to place that blame on someone else. You make me feel is a statement that we will often use. You made me angry. You made me sad. You made me fill in the blank. But what that's doing, it's passing on responsibility to someone else that you need to own in your life and put some boundaries on what you feel. You and I we are responsible for managing our own, what is the key word here? Emotions. We're responsible for this in our lives. And you have to choose what you will let your emotions do to you or what you will refuse to let them do to you. Your emotions can cause you to do a lot of things in life. You don't need to raise your hand on this one tonight as I ask you this question, but how many of you have done some things along the way or said some things along the way or reacted along the way to someone on the basis of an emotion that came up inside of you that you later regretted? can get you into all kinds of trouble. Your emotions can move you in directions that are very damaging and ultimately can be damning to your life if you're not very careful. And so you've got to say, I'm going to allow these emotions, so I'm going to give these emotions some boundaries. There's certain things I will not allow these boundaries to cause me to do. Let me give you four of these areas that I think are the most common. We could talk about lots of them, but let me give you four of these areas where I think it's most common. Number one, you have to take responsibility for processing your what? Your anger. Whose anger? Your anger. You can't control somebody else's anger, okay? 
You can't control what somebody else is going to feel, what somebody else is going to, their emotions, but you can control your anger. And the Bible is very clear about our responsibility that when we feel angry, and by the way, everybody feels angry sometimes. There are times in your life that you're going, it's just a human emotion. And you probably have already felt that today at some point in time about something. If it's a car that's going slow in front of you, or if it's whatever the case might be, you have a moment where you feel an irritation, you feel a frustration, you feel an anger. And so I think it's extremely valuable to understand that even as Christians, we feel these emotions. There's nothing wrong with feeling the emotion of anger. It's not feeling it that's wrong. It's what you do with it that can become a problem in your life. And that's why the Bible says, in your, in your what? It's acknowledging that sometimes you're going to feel angry, okay? That's reality. But in your anger, that is when that anger comes into your world, when it gets inside of you, the emotion is there. What does the next statement say? Do not what? Do not sin. So there's the responsibility. Everybody's going to feel this at times. You're going to feel that moment, that surge of energy and frustration over whatever may be happening at a moment that's frustrating your life as a goal that's being blocked for you or some other thing that might be creating some aspect of anger in your life. The Bible says, in your anger, do not, do not what? Sin. Don't let it cause you to react in a way that's going to be hurtful to your relationship with God and hurtful in your interactions with others. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. This is a verse or two verses that we could talk about in great length this weekend, but I'm not going to. I'm just going to touch on certain aspects of this. Don't let the sun go down. Don't let the anger sit inside of you. I have learned this and continue to learn this in my own life and experience it both positively and negatively. I've had both experiences, as we all have. If you let that stuff stay inside of you, if you let anger, anger builds. Have you noticed that? Because when you have anger inside of you, you begin to think about, okay, I'm angry about this, and oh, yeah, and what about that? And yeah, well, that too. And before long, this, this, this little thing inside of you has now gotten really huge and really, really big. And that's why the Bible, Bible says, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. It's, it's not necessarily, I don't not necessarily believe it's referring to a 24-hour period, but it's referring to the idea of deal with it as quickly as you possibly can. Get rid of this. Get this thing out of your system because if you hold on to it, what are you doing in your life? You are giving the devil a foothold. You know, there's a lot of people who are in a lot of trouble with their life right now, and it all started with anger. It all started with a seed of anger inside of them, and that little seed of anger led to something else, which led to something else, which opened the door for the adversary in their life. And when it says the devil here, the Apostle, Paul is, the Apostle Paul is talking about the literal demonic elements of life. I'm not saying, nor is Paul saying here, that you're going to become demon-possessed, but I will tell you what, there will be a lot of hell that gets inside of you if you hold on to anger. Amen? So we manage our emotions. We process our anger. What else do we need to do? We need to deal with our hurts and our disappointments. These are the, the biggies that I'm calling them, all right? These are boundaries, your boundaries. 
I get angry. Boundary is, okay, wait a minute. Before this affects me any further, I'm going to deal with it. I've been hurt. I've been disappointed. Everybody here has experienced hurt and disappointment in your life. You will continue to experience it throughout your life. A hurt is someone says something, someone does something, it offends you, it hurts your feelings inside, you feel the sting on the inside, you may or may not have anger associated with it. Sometimes it's just a hurt or a pain in your heart. We talk about our hearts being broken or our hearts being bruised. It can happen that way, and oftentimes it is associated with a disappointment. A disappointment is always associated with an expectation. You expected something, and that didn't happen the way you expected it to happen. You were hoping for something to transpire, and it didn't transpire or didn't transpire the way you hoped it would transpire. And so what did you feel? You felt disappointed, hurt, and disappointed. Now, let me ask you a question. If you hold on to hurt, inside of you, again, we're talking about boundaries, and you hold on to disappointments inside of you, what will be the end result of an unresolved, unprocessed hurt or disappointment in you? It's going to continue to work on you. Okay. It will continue. In fact, this is not, and don't take this the wrong way, because this is not the only cause of what I'm about to describe here, but it is one of the causes of something called depression. Okay. There are lots of different causes of depression, and there are different levels of depression that we experience in life, but some levels of depression can, can, go very, can go back to the fact that we haven't dealt with a hurt or dealt with a disappointment. It can also lead to addictions. Addictions are substances that you put or you utilize, it may not even necessarily be a substance, but something you do to try to numb the pain at some level in your life, that you're trying to get this thing out of me, and deal, you, some, in some ways it can be related to food or drugs or alcohol or, or even people. You can, people, you can be addict, addicted to certain kind of uh, p people in your life in a negative way to try to deal with hurts and disappointments. So it's extremely important that we understand what the Scripture says about this. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root. Here it's describing that hurt and disappointment turning into a bitter root and it grows up to cause what? Cause trouble and defile many. I will tell you there's a lot of people who've gotten again themselves into great trouble because they haven't dealt with their hurts and disappointments and not only has it troubled them but it's spread from them because if you're hurt, hurt people hurt people. Okay. Hurt people hurt people. And so if you have hurt in you, you hurt other people around you. The third one that is extremely important emotionally in terms of boundaries is refusing to blame others. I'm going to refuse to blame others for my issues. Boy, this is a big one, isn't it? I think the important thing with this, a number of important things here, but first of all is to acknowledge you have issues. That's where it starts, because a lot, for a lot of people, that's not, they, they can't even start there. They can't start with the basic fact that they have issues. 
What they want to do is think, no, everybody else has issues. I don't have issues. The reality is every one of us have issues. Why? Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's not a single perfect person in this room or a perfect person watching this, this message this weekend. All of us have issues in our life that are our issues, that they're things that God wants to help us deal with and grow in in our lives, but we have to own them as long as we're projecting blame onto someone else. It's never going to do us any good. The next one that I want to talk about for a few moments is resisting the urge to resent and retaliate against others. That's the idea of now that I've been hurt, now I've moved beyond just I'm hurt and disappointed, I'm angry, but now I'm going to get into the mode of paying somebody back for what they've done to me. Very, very subtle. You can pay people back aggressively. It can be a very aggressive thing. Or you can pay people back passive aggressively. You understand what that is? Passive aggressively is that I'm going to pay you back, and I'm going to pay you back either by hurting you aggressively the way you've hurt me. You said something that hurt my feelings. I'm going to say something back to you that's going to hurt you the way you hurt me. Or passive aggression is I'm just going to step out of your life. I'm going to, I'm going to give you the silent treatment. You know, the silent treatment oftentimes is still payback. So I'm going to pay you back by just stepping out of your world, making you pay by not being a part of your world anymore. And so there's this resisting the urge to resent and retaliate, whether it be aggressively or passive aggressively, as we try to hurt somebody else because of the hurt they've caused us. It's only going to create damage for you. Do not repay anyone, Romans 12, 17 through 19. Do not, do not. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on them. No, as far as it depends on you. Live at peace with everyone. It continues here. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Let me give you a little side note here just for a moment. If someone has mistreated you and hurt you and damaged you in some way, you take it to God, you pray about it, you refuse to retaliate. Understand this, God knows how to make it right. God knows how to put it right. You have to trust him that he'll work it out so that you're not taking revenge in your own life. Notice Proverbs, uh, excuse me, Romans 12, 21 uh, was, uh, do, do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's go to the next one here. Number three, set boundaries on how you define your personal worth. Let me review some things for you here. Everybody still with me so far this weekend? You ready? Okay. Boundaries, 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 okay. This is extremely important because every person here, you define your worth in certain ways. How do you know that you're, you have value? How do you know that you have, a value, have value as a person? And the, we talked about this a few weekends ago. Let me go back to them again. First of all, many people define their worth on their accomplishments. So if I do certain things, well, then I'm worth something. Some people base their worth on acceptance by other people. If the right people accept me, then I must be okay because I'm in the right group. And this goes all the way back to 
to, to, to childhood and school and when you're in high school, all the peer pressure that you have, and you, am I in the in-group or I'm not in the in-group, uh, we, we build our sense of accept, acceptance on, on, on what our value on the basis of who accepts us or who rejects us. Another aspect of this is what if I have accumulated. If I have the right stuff, okay, as long as I have the right stuff, the right possessions, then I can validate myself on the basis I must be valuable because of what I have. So these are the three primary ways that people validate their personal worth. None of these three are stable. Can I say that again? There's not a single one of these three that will form a solid rock foundation for you in terms of you feeling worth something. Because at some point in time, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, somebody's going to out-accomplish you. You've accomplished something, but somebody comes along and they're better than you were at something and they're going to do better. And so now suddenly my worth is up for grabs because somebody's done something better than me. At some point in time, everybody in this room and everybody watching online, the people that you want to accept you are going to reject you. Not everybody's going to like you, and people that like you today, they may not like you tomorrow. Ask Jesus. On Palm Sunday, he comes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, and everybody's, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Everybody's celebrating him on Sunday morning or Sunday when he comes in. But by Friday, the same group of people were crying, crucify him, crucify him. So you have to understand that there's an instability to your accomplishments, an instability to your acceptance. There's an instability to what you accumulate. You know that what you accumulate can go very quickly. And even if you accumulate lots of things, there will always be someone else that will accumulate more than you. And so if you're basing your worth on that, those kinds of things are very, very shallow, and they're very temporal, and they're very shaky. They will not give you a solid foundation for your life. And I'll tell you why this is important. Why am I talking about this in terms of boundaries? Because if these three things are, gu are guiding how you feel about you, you're an open, you, 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 your boundaries can get invaded all day long, okay? Because people will invade you by either pumping you up based upon your accomplishments or tearing you down based on your accomplishments and whatever they're saying about your accomplishments, your emotions will go up and down based upon that. Or whoever accepts you, if you're not uh, feel, being accepted by the right group one day, your emotions are going to the, hit the tank and the right people accept you, your emotions will go up. You've just opened your, your boundaries are wide open. And all these things contribute to a very volatile life, a very volatile sense of emotion. And so you need something, a boundary in your life that says, I am only going to define myself by this one thing. And how I'm going to define myself is not defining myself on the basis of what I do or on the basis of who accepts me or doesn't or on the basis of how I accumulate certain things in life. No, I'm going to base my sense of personal worth on one thing and one thing only, my relationship with God. 
There's nothing more important to me than that. I want a relationship with God. And as long as I know that I'm in right relationship with God, I don't have to worry about this, and I don't have to worry about this, and I don't have to worry about this instead of in terms of coming from people because I know that I've now set a boundary. This is not going to define me. This is not going to define me. And this is not going to define me. No, God is going to define me. My relationship with God is going to define who I am. And so when you become healthy in your identity, it helps you to have healthy relationships because healthy people produce healthy relationships. Proverbs 12, 31. Here we go. Jesus, again, we've come back to this a few times, but this is all relational principles. He was asked the question, what's the most important Commandment of all, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is this, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Oh, my goodness. What, what is, why is that in there, okay? Why is that in there? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. There is a proper sense of loving yourself, I'm not talking about bowing down every time you see yourself in a mirror and say, you're awesome. (laughs) I'm not talking about arrogance and pride and all those kind of things that that we know that are are, are just distasteful in people and distasteful to God. God is not a God who who, who fellowships with pride. It's not an arrogant thing, but it's the awareness that I can love my neighbor because I know that I'm loved by God. And so God loves me. I'm valuable to him. I'm worth something to him. And so if I'm worth something to him, my neighbor is worth something to him as well. Are you with me here? God loves me, and because God loves me, I also know that God loves my neighbor, and so I can love my neighbor as I'm in right relationship with God. I know that he loves me. There's no commandment greater than these. Notice Isaiah chapter 43, verse number one. You ought to memorize this verse. If you struggle with your identity, if you struggle with your sense of personal worth or value, and every one of us do at some point in time, don't fool yourself. There's not a single person in this room or watching online that does not battle at some point in time with personal insecurity. We all battle with personal insecurity. I battle with it. You battle with it. We all battle with this issue of worth in our lives. Sometimes that's why we do dumb things, because we're trying to find some level of worth in our lives. And so all of us battle with it. This is a great verse of Scripture. But now this is what the Lord says. Who says it? So if God's saying something, I think we ought to pay attention, right? This is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel. Notice what does he say to us? Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by. Give me about 30 minutes to do this, okay? (laughs) By what? He knows your name. I've summoned you by name. You are, and I would submit to you this this weekend that if you're God's, it doesn't matter whose else you, you are not. That's not very good English, but it doesn't matter who else accepts you or doesn't accept you. As long as you're his, you're okay, all right? You belong to him. Notice, if you will, 1 John chapter 4. 
This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Even before you didn't love God, and I believe you love him now because you have a relationship with him, but you, even before you had no love for God, he loved you, he loved us. That is an identity, that is a solid foundation. It's extremely important that we're careful very careful who you allow to define you and who you allow to define your worth and what you allow to define your worth. Because if you don't, if you're not careful about that, your boundaries will be so weak that anything can invade it and affect you emotionally. Let's go to the fourth thing together. Set boundaries on your... Boy, that was really weak, okay? Set boundaries on your mouth. If we need any boundaries anywhere, we need them right there. Correct? We need a big old strong tall fence right here. Big old gate right there that says, whoa, time out. It keeps us from having the wrong destructive words to come out of our mouth. Uh, we could actually spend a whole message. In fact, I'm going to, as a part of this series, really zero in as one of the messages on this whole theme. But I, I just want to remind us of it tonight as we're wrapping this up. Here's the warning James gives us in James chapter 3. We all fail in many areas. That's a big amen, right? But especially with our words. Yet if we're able to bridle the words we say, we're powerful enough to control ourselves in every way, and that means our character is mature and fully developed. Why, why is it so important that we learn to deal with our words? Because if you can learn, just think about this, if you can learn to control your words, you have, you've, you've developed character enough and maturity enough to handle lots of other things in your life. Let's see if I can illustrate it this way. There's certain things in life that are strategic, right? You know what the word strategy means? Strategic means that that's the key thing. I'll, I'll, here's, the, here's the picture I'll give you. you. Anybody ever gone bowling before? Right? If you've gone bowling before, what is the objective when you bowl? Okay? The objective when you bowl, just FYI, is not the gutter. just want you to be aware of that. It's not that it's that's such a... But the objective when you bowl, there's one pin that you want to hit, right? What pin is that? Why do you want to hit the kingpin? I think it's, it's kingpin, is that what it's called again? Why do you want to hit the kingpin? Because if you hit the kingpin with the right velocity and the right attack there, every one of the other pins go down, right? I want you to think of your mouth like the kingpin. If you can take the bowling ball of self-control given to you by the power of the Holy Spirit, if you're going to go after anything in your life, go after that kingpin called your mouth. Because if you can hit that one, a lot of other things go down as well. I like that idea, don't you? Instead of trying to pick, oh, I've got to get 10 pins here. See if I, I don't get this one. I don't get that. Just, just hit the kingpin. Look at this again. One more time. 
We fail in many areas, but especially with our words. Yet if we're able to bridle the words we say, right? You got that part? We are powerful enough to control ourselves in every way. And that means our, what does that mean? That means our character is mature and fully developed. Take a look with me at chapter 3, same chapter, verse number 6. And the tongue is a fire. It can be compared to the sum total of wickedness and is the most dangerous part of our human being, human body. In fact, what we ought to have, you ever seen these little signs in different places where they're doing construction work, danger, or yellow tape that says caution? Maybe we should wrap some yellow tape around our heads and every, right across our mouth, caution, right there, okay? Danger, okay? And the tongue is a fire. It can be compared to the sum total of wickedness and, the most, and is the most dangerous part of the human body. Let me stop. Where's, where are we reading this from? Is this like from a self-help book? No, where, where are we reading this from? Where? The Bible, right? Okay, God's Word, right? We believe in the Bible. We believe that God's Word is true. It's the inerrant Word of God. It gives us exactly how we live for faith and practice, all that stuff. We believe that, right? And the tongue is a fire. It can be compared to the sum total of wickedness and is the most dangerous part of our body. Who said that? Who said it was the most dangerous part of your body? God did, okay? I don't want to overemphasize, but I want to get this point out. And then it says, it corrupts the entire body and is, is a hellish flame. It releases a fire that can burn throughout the course of human existence. What God is saying, and again, we'll come back to this later in this series and talk more specifically about our words and how to actually fashion and form them. But the Bible says this is extremely important to put a boundary on the words of your mouth. Set a boundary. Let's go to the fifth and final point here. I've got to wrap up quickly here. I'm having fun preaching this tonight. I hope you guys are still with me. I'll cover this as quickly as I can here. Set boundaries on your... <laughs> this is hard, isn't it? Right? Some of you are saying, why did I even come to church tonight? I just, just, just say. Set boundaries on your opinions and interaction. Everybody has one of these. Right? Set boundaries on them. Well, let me talk about it before I read this verse. Your opinions, one of the most destructive practices that any of us can have in life is our desire to control people. I just want to control them, okay? We never say that. We never say we want to control other people. But there's a drive in certain personalities especially, but probably at some level in all of us to try to kind of control and change people into what we want them to be and anytime you try to think about anytime you try to control another person or change another person into what you want them to be you are what you're actually doing is you're invading their boundary because you're not God right and the only person that can ever really change a person is God God can no one can really change anyone except God's work. I mean, talking about real transformation of art. And so anytime, and this is, this is really helpful, and it's helped me over the years to learn a little bit more about this. Anytime you try to change another person, it's always going to be counterproductive. The more you try to change them, what you create is resistance in them. When they feel you trying to forcefully change them with your opinions or with your interactions, you actually 
strengthen the very thing you're trying to weaken because you're creating a resistance. There's a resistance factor there. And nobody changes until they want to change. They've got to want to change. And people will change usually in their own lives by two, two ways. They will either see the light or feel the heat. That's basically how people change, okay? I see the light. Whoa, yeah, I see that. I want to change. Or, man, I feel the heat. I think I need to change, okay? And that's okay. Either one of those are going to create change. But people, other people, can't control the change in another person's life. And so when we're in control mode, all we're doing, anytime you're in control mode, all you're doing is actually frustrating other people. That's all you're doing. You're frustrating other people, and you're fatiguing yourself. You're wearing yourself out. Okay. And so either through your opinions or your interactions, you have to set some boundaries on what your opinions and what your interactions are with people so that you're not in the mode of trying to control them. Let me give you another phrase for this, and I'm going to read a passage, and we'll be done. Here's the thing you have to learn to do. Mind your own business. Can I get an amen right there, okay? I'm having fun circling things tonight, okay? (laughs) Circle night. Mind your own business. What does it say? Paul had a problem with one of the churches with this very issue. It's kind of laid out here in 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 11 and 12. So Paul's writing to these believers, these believers at a place called Thessalonica. Indeed, we hear that some among you are leading in what kind of life? Paul said, I, I've been getting some news from Thessalonica that there's some folks hanging out in the church there. There's some folks that are part of the church family there, and, and they, they've been leading an undisciplined and inappropriate life, doing no work at all, but acting like... What? That doesn't sound like a very spiritual issue, does it? But Paul, in these, this short little book, Second Thessalonians... He takes time to address busybodies. What is a busybody? It's somebody who isn't minding their own business. And then the Amplified Version kind of explains it more. Meddling in other people's business. So there you go. Now such people, here Paul writes, such people we command. That's pretty strong, is it not? Such people we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to do what? Oh, my goodness. Just settle down. And work, how? Quietly. Earn their own food and other necessities, he goes on to say here. Supporting themselves instead of depending on the hospitality of others. They were busybodies. They were spending their time getting into other people's business. And Paul says, put a boundary on that. Don't let that be who you are. So set boundaries on your behavior. Set boundaries on your emotions. Set boundaries on how you define your personal worth. Set boundaries on your mouth. And may God help all of us to set boundaries on our opinions and our interactions with other people. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, we thank you so much for your word this evening. We're grateful for you speaking to us. We ask, Lord, that something that's said tonight would help us to become more mature in you. Lord, we want to grow. We want to learn. And We want to make sure we have the right boundaries in our life. We don't want to be invading other people's worlds with 
our opinions and our words and things that are destructive for them or for us. So, Lord, I pray you'll take this message and help it to form and fashion us to become more of the people you've called us to be. We thank you for the presence and power of the Holy Spirit to do that. In Jesus' powerful and wonderful name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me, and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray. And you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out, and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God, and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus... I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time.